Ladies, gentlemen, pimps in between, as one Daniel Fenton would say. I am Alfie Cairns Colshaw, and this is episode 202 of the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza. Um, second episode of the year and second defeat to talk about. Yay. Um, we obviously crashed out to Liverpool in the FA Cup. It's been a couple of days now. So myself and the fellow guest who I'll introduce in a second, who I actually attended the game with, so that kind of narrows it down. Um, we've had a bit of introspect time for introspection now, um, and I'm quite calm about about this game. Um, to be honest, I literally said to my mate next to me in the stadium when it got to like 75 minutes, I was like, "I'd kind of rather we concede and go out than draw." Some people might say that's crazy, but the prospect of having to cut our Dubai sh- sh- trip short, which we desperately need to go and play Anfield in an FA Cup replay, was just not very appealing to me. Anyway, uh, I am joined by the man with the versatile name, the other Englishman in the quad factor, Rob Bob Ber- Bertie Bertha, uh, Roberto Mancini. What are you saying, Rob? I'm well, Alfie. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pleasure to go to Tollington uh, beforehand, uh, you know, two celebrities there and Afghans Kulshaw and, and so Rob Wood. Shame AFC Max 9 couldn't join us. I know, I know. AFC Max 9 attended the game, sort of uh, baited us into thinking we'd see him and, and failed to turn up. Um, maybe that says something about the man. But um, yeah, I agree. A couple of days of introspection have, have done some good. I think I've I've had quite a similar experience to what you had after the Fulham game, where I've just sort of been off social media since the match, haven't really been uh, digesting any any of the content because pretty much um, there were tube strikes, so I, I left the game five minutes early, which I never do, but I did on this occasion, and I saw um, Daniel getting wound up in the group chat, and I just wasn't ready to engage in any of that conversation yeah considering what i'd i'd watched with my eyes which was a which was a very good arsenal performance especially in the first half um and i'm sure we'll we'll sink our teeth more into that uh later on in the show but it, it was really nice to be back at the emirates the atmosphere is still excellent despite um you know just some recent faultings uh i i actually thought it was you know it was one of the few games that I've attended this season, but I thought it was one of the better atmospheres that I've, I've seen, con- considering apparently on the TV. Um, and as per other people, it hasn't been as good as perhaps it was last season. I thought it was pretty good at the weekend. Um, yeah, one of those which is just very difficult to uh, get wound up about for me because I, I know we, we played very well on the day. Yeah, I personally was I was going to criticise the atmosphere. Um interesting i get i i thought it was a little bit flat and i kind of understand why because of the run we're in um the fact that we you know it's quite hard to replicate the euphoria that we would have in a winning run and and also like a really cold day in early january it's not the most glamorous fa cup as well i don't think people are quite as emotionally invested as they are in the league and the champions league but it was more about i felt like the fans not turned on the the team, but it it felt like it was getting a bit too um, frustrated in the second half. And I mean, there was some absolute twat who was next to me. He was t- next to me in the uh, West Ham game. I just wanted to punch again. Like he was saying, "Season's over." 
like he said it about 58 times and i was like shut the fuck i literally said to him can you just shut up please um and i thought like things might kick off and a steward might have to intervene but i told him to shut up because he said he literally didn't stop saying the season's over and i was like how can the season be over in january when we're five points off uh um off the league of leaguers and we're in the champions league round of 16 and he went he said at least last season at least in previous years we've still had the europa league which we can win we're literally in the champions league this year you fucking dumb twat anyway um that sort of extreme miserable us was just frustrating and it kind of um encapsulates the feeling around the club at the moment um should we start with explosive moment because I have one, um, and spoiler alert, uh, I've just, just listened to like the first twenty minutes of the Arsenal Vision podcast, and and Clive pointed out the same moment. But this was going to be my explosive moment. It's, it's in the first like minute or two when Reese Nelson gets the ball over the top, and I feel like this moment kind of kind of summarised what people's frustrations are at this team at the moment and, and what we have concerns about. And it's a lack of conviction and decisiveness in the final moment, the final piece of execution in the game. I think this this was like the first moment. Put them 1-0 up, the whole stadium erupts, and I feel like we're a bit more a bit more confidence in the final third and in our final actions. But we Reese. He looked unsure. It was a great run, by the way, and it was a great pass. And I was excited to see a run like that because Martinelli's been too restricted to the touchline in previous games. But in this game, Nelson was making that diagonal run. It was a great run, but his first touch is bad. I don't think he gets it under control properly. And then he's he's got to go for the lob. Once he's taken it around the keeper, the angle for me is too tight. I think you've got to look for a cutback. You can't just pass it into the side netting. I was really disappointed by that. And I felt like that sort of showed that lack of conviction in the final third that we've got used to. And we'll get on to more of that when we get to the canon concerns, because I'd rather do the the good stuff first. But give me your moment of the match, Rob. I think that's a <clears throat> that's a pretty uh, accurate, explosive moment. And it wasn't one that initially came to mind for me. Um, obviously thought about the goal, uh, a few other missed, big missed chances, you know, Erdegaard hitting the bar from about five yards out. Um, and yeah, I, I just think we had these moments where we were really able to expose Liverpool. Um, and, and these moments, I, th- I think you've seen it quite a lot over the years in the, in the huge Liverpool and City matches. One team gets ahead early and it, and it sort of changes the whole narrative, narrative of the game. And just catching Liverpool cold in that situation, a superb kick by Ramsdale over the top. Superb, the way it moved in the air was was fantastic. I was right behind it, um, and and then yeah, it was just a fantastic opportunity to completely change the course of the game. And this was, you know, it was a strong Liverpool side. Don't get me wrong, but there were changes in there. Their Kwanzaa at the back every time we pressed their their left hand side, they were quaking in their boots, um, and you you just wonder what getting that early goal would have done to the atmosphere in the stadium and the. And the the the, the, the belief mentality in the match and the and the belief for the, Arsenal the belief well. in our players who have you know have gone through a couple yeah. weeks and we've exactly we've shown a lack of ruthlessness in the final third 
know, putting Liverpool to the soil in the first like five minutes with that goal. And, 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 you know, the and, things that and you done look at us. those those changes that that Jurgen Klopp made late on when he brought on two kids. You, you got the sense that both managers were like, "I'd rather lose than draw this match." You, you wonder if Klopp sort of goes, "Oh, we've gone one 0 down in the first ten. Arsenal playing really well. Might get another goal. Let's let's just sort of shut a shut up shop and make sure we don't concede a load, but accept the defeat." You, you sense it could have that impact on the match. Um, so yeah, it's one of those that, that didn't spring to mind straight away but I, I think I'd have to agree was the explosive moment on the day I'm not going to go too hard on Maurice for it uh, someone who you know hasn't been given enough minutes this season for us to expect him to score in that scenario but for someone who usually is such a calm finisher in front of goal it was disappointing that he, he couldn't finish that one off absolutely um, let's move on to the good stuff um, and as you know, people will will some people will find this podcast frustrating. I anticipate because I feel like you will very much dissect the issues later. Don't you worry. But we are going to place a lot of emphasis, I think, on the good stuff. Um, people like to hear anger and frustration and why everything's terrible after a defeat. But just like we do when we win, which I've also found. When we win games, any sort of kickback or criticism is really aggressively rejected. And I, I feel like I always bring up some things I'm critical of when we win games. And it's the exact opposite when we lose games. If you say anything positive, everyone gets frustrated. And I get it. You want, you want to hear things that reflect your mood after the game. But I think as a podcast, when we're trying to bring balance and nuance and critical thinking, we are trying to you know, show both sides because I think pretty much every performance ever has good and bad aspects to it. So we are going to delve into the, the good stuff first. And I'm going to just say it. We outplayed Liverpool in the first half, particularly. I think the second half we'll, we'll get to. We outplayed them. We, As you mentioned there, we pressed them very high. I think what I liked with this game was we spoke in the Fulham game how Arteta perhaps should have adapted his system a little bit to the players he had at his disposal, mainly talking about the left back in that we didn't have Zinchenko, so he sort of forced Kivior into the inverted left back role. It was like a um a round peg in a square hole. Um and it didn't really work and he put a Kivior in a position where he looked bad and exposed and it was frustrating. And he rectified this in this game. He didn't have Zinchenko again and he didn't have Tomiyasu, so he knew he couldn't play Kivio on that role again. And he bought in Jorginho and he went to a double pivot. And it was a very much a 4-2-3-1. Um, and it it worked in the first half. It really, really did work, I think. We were pressing well. We looked threatening in, in the final third, even if our finishing was bad. We looked solid defensively. I think they had two shots at the halftime point, uh, at halftime. Um, and, you know... Again, you mentioned they were missing a few key players. There was a Salah, Van Dijk, Sabozlai, Lus, Liverpool. Three key players. Uh, Robertson as well was obviously long-term absentee. But it was still a very good Liverpool side there at the top of the league and we absolutely negated them and we absolutely battered them in that first half. 13 shots to two. Um, yeah, I think that has to be looked at as a positive. Um, even if 
you're frustrated with the end result, you, you have to acknowledge the fact that we were the much better team for the large majority of the game, particularly in the first half. Any words on the, on that on that aspect, Rob, and any more good stuff? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've been to a lot of Arsenal games over the years and I've I've walked away feeling a lot more frustrated than I did in this game. And I, I think about how I felt throughout the game and there, there were no real moments where I was angry at the team and I thought there was a lack of application or even, you know, particularly bad football. I think we played pretty good football throughout the 90. I think the 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 well perhaps the last term wasn't great but um i thought that the as you say the tactical switch was great something that we called for last week and i think just moving forward especially if we don't have zinchenko it, it's something that we that we have to do um and i thought Jorginho had a really good game i think it was a bit different actually to what we've seen when Jorginho and Rice have played together before. Uh, Rice was picking up the ball very deep, even at times. Like in the first ten, I was like, "Hang on a second, is Rice playing as the six and Jorginho as the eight? It was, it was a quite a, a really interesting tactical thing going on there. And it really did allow us to to really control the Liverpool team. And just because you know Liverpool were without Van Dijk because they were out. Mo Salah, I don't think that they they weren't you know trying to win this football match. There's a reason Allison starts in goal instead of Kelleher. Um, so yeah, I, I think adding to to what you said there, uh, the, the the double pivot was a was a good thing and something that I think I, I'd like to see con- continued into Palace. I really liked Havertz up front. Um, I think he adds a, a real balance to the side in a way that, that Eddie can't, even though uh, you know, the number of touches he had was 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 perhaps low. Um he yeah, he just adds a balance and you're more comfortable with him up there than Eddie to to finish off chances and well not finish them off, but perhaps make the right decision and make make the decision which helps the team rather rather than himself. He, he he's a good team centre forward and yeah, that that whole discussion after the game is, has been a, a really not an interesting one, really, because as some Arsenal fans who just really don't like Kai Havertz, they look at the Kai Havertz of Chelsea, who played up front for Chelsea for a few years and didn't score very many goals, um, and think, how can this guy be the Arsenal centre forward? <clears throat> There's games where he will be a centre forward at Arsenal and games that he won't be. He's just a really useful option up there. And a better option than Eddie and Ketia. And I think even though we didn't score in this match, come on, we, we created, a, a, you know, what was it, like two and a half expected goals on another day. This is, that that first half could have been an absolute field day for Arsenal if Kyle Saka has any confidence, if Martin Odegaard scores one of his trademark goals, if uh, Reese Nelson lobs the keeper. We, we could have scored goals for fun in that first half. It was brilliant, brilliant football. Um and yeah, we're we're just caught in this anomalous rot, rot at the moment where we just aren't scoring goals. It's bizarre. I think I, I saw something earlier that the XG over the past six games, discounting the West Ham penalty, is like six one to Arsenal, and we've lost like uh, I don't know what the aggregate loss scoreline well, is. Yeah, well, it's like we, six, we, six we will two get or to something. all that when we yeah. try and diagnose what's what's happening with all that. 
Um, but yeah, we we'll, we'll get to that later. But this this was a good Arsenal half, and even in the second half, we 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 managed to keep Liverpool at bay. It wasn't constant pressure. It was a lot of counter attacking stuff from them, and nothing possession from us. It, it was it was fine. There was nothing to be alarmed by. Yeah, and I understand that most level headed fans who aren't fucking idiots i'm, I'm gonna say it. i'm this is probably the most annoyed at some fans i've been most fans and you'd actually be surprised robbie i know you said um you haven't really been on twitter or anything i think maybe maybe it's just my feed but generally people were quite like yeah we actually outplayed liverpool we just again it was off final third execution and finishing i feel like most fat reasonable fans can identify that that is the issue like it's there's nothing to do with the way Arteta's coaching the team, the way we're pressing, all of the structural stuff. It's literally a final action that we're struggling with. Most fans can identify that. The fucking idiots who are going, like, this is, like, dreadful. We're, we're playing tre- terribly. That Everything is, is finished. Arteta's ruining these players. I just... We're talking about a game where we could have been three, four nil up against the league leaders, a very good Liverpool team, and like, how can you come to that conclusion when you're saying those those things about that performance, which are very accurate of that performance, in my opinion? Anyway, yeah, I think I think the the double pivot we absolutely overran them in that first half. Like, I liked Rice's had a bit more freedom because Jorginho was there to you know really press and and win the ball and hunt for the ball high up the pitch was resulted in some turnovers and good chances. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's also evidence is if we're looking for good stuff in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, the, the long-term title race, it's a very clear blueprint of how to dominate a Liverpool midfield that doesn't have a six. You play two ball-dominant I mean, sixes and you, you their run midfield, the show. midfield was McAllister-Jones double pivot with uh, Gakpo at 10 and Elliot on the right, um, Diaz on the left and Nunes up front. Like that midfield was getting absolutely railed in the first half, and they could not progress the ball because our press was so good. The passing lanes were cut out. Um, I think like the only time I remember them even like foraging into our first half and uh, our half, our third in that first half was when Trent hit the bar. Like I don't remember them really having sustained waves of attack um, attacks in our final third at all in the first half, um, and that was. And you mentioned Havertz there. I really liked him up front as well. I know people had frustrations with his finishing. And I don't think there were any like glaring misses. Maybe he should do slightly better with a header. I'm not sure. But I think it was more about the thing that he was he was sort of a bit hesitant um, and taking a bit too long and t- taking too many touches. The one that he took it kind of wide and then hit it straight at Allison. It was quite frustrating. But... His all-round game, I mean, I thought his movement was excellent and allowed us to get him behind down the channels. It was very selfless, his running. Um, he blocked the passing lanes well. As you said, I don't think we press Liverpool like that if Eddie starts up front. And he also just occupied the centre-backs with an, a, a physical target. and It meant we could go long quite a lot with Ramsdale and evade their press. Um, and that's just something that Eddie doesn't provide. Um, and I think it made us a better overall attacking team and you know look how bad the Fulham game was when Eddie started I don't want to single out Eddie again but it just feels like every time someone else whether it's Trossard or Havertz or Jesus plays up front we talk about how they are doing things that Eddie couldn't do for us um second half 
<laughs> so should we move on to the to the canon concerns, or do you have any sort of more good stuff? Yeah, I, I, I just you know general good stuff because I, I thought Ramsdale was was good in that, and then that was really good, good to save from his Diaz. Yeah, fantastic save, really good distribution. Um, you know, I think when he came in against Brentford, it, it looked like he was trying too much, and I didn't get that that vibe from him last night. Um, it's, it's a good thing that our our players are, are playing well. Um, and yeah, good good cameo from Reese. I was upset that he came off. Actually, I, I would have been in favour of him staying on the pitch because Saka had an absolute stinker. But yeah, I think I'm I'm ready to move on to, to some of those concerns. Yeah, I'd second what you said about Ramsdale. Um, I thought the centre-backs were fine again. I saw some people criticising Saliba. I think some of his passing was a little bit sloppy at times, but generally, I thought he was imperious. There was one excellent tackle in the second half. Um, and I thought Gabriel was good as well. Jorginho coming in. Um, I think Kivior is a good stuff in that didn't really have to talk, speak about him. He wasn't an issue in this game and he suited the system a lot more than Zinchenko would have if Zinchenko had played in this game. Um, yeah, and no, I actually thought when when he did pop up in those forward areas, it was actually, it was quite useful. It was it was more, oh, Liverpool aren't expecting him to be there so he's able to pick up the ball nicely and I think that's where you can use more of a, a Tommy or a Kivior in this system. Um, picking up the ball where the opposition don't expect him to be rather than constantly expecting them to play as a midfield role. I think it was much more effective in, in that way. I agree. Um, and yeah, I don't think anyone else particularly merits. Reese, I thought, did start well, I think. I do think he faded a little bit. Um, and there's something I've noticed with Nelson. I don't know if you get what I mean, but... I've noticed when he receives the ball, I feel like his body position, and I'm not a coach, I'm not claiming to be really good at understanding the technical things with to, to like receiving the ball and body position, but I feel like he faces the play too much when he's receiving the ball, particularly when he plays on the left. Do you know what I mean? Like He will be on, on the outside of Kivior, for example. Uh, in a really good position with a decent amount of space on the left, and he will be yeah, literally I know facing yeah. Jakob Kivior rather than yeah, being a bit yeah. more side-on so he can receive the ball more quickly. And he'll receive the ball and he'll be facing Kivior with his back I to goal. I, like, I don't think you don't. Reece Nelson is a very natural winger profile for, for this squad at all. I just feel um, like if he received the ball in like slightly more side-on, he'd be able to make quicker use of, yeah. of like dangerous situations. I agree. But I also don't think he looked out of place in that, that front three at all. Uh, and probably a better wide option than, than Trossard. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, let's move on to the canon concerns because I feel like that's what, what people want to hear more diagnosing what is wrong with this team at the moment. Um, so I think Klopp clearly made a change at half-time. Um, he decided playing Gakpo as the 10 with that pivot was not working. Um, and he switched things up and they had more of a midfield three in the second half. Um, and it made them better because they couldn't have got much worse. I thought they were bad in the first half. Uh, so I kind of felt like every time we missed a chance, it just felt to me like more and more like we we're going to go out like it's just going to come back and haunt us because that has been the narrative recently. That has been the truth about what's happening to us. And it kind of feel, felt like 
every time we missed a chance, there was sort of more tension in the ground and for the players about sort of surrounding when they get into those areas. Like they they know that this is a thing now and it's sort of mentally draining them. Um, and it's a mental block they can't seem to overcome with regards to being really effective in the final third. And it's really playing on their mind. And we just need one ball to hit the back of the net, to be honest. Um, and change... I don't think it made Liverpool the better team. It just sort of evened things out and it sort of became a scrap in the second half. Like, there was not much in it. Both teams looked kind of tired after this 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 break, this uh, festive period. It kind of looked like they weren't all that bothered about getting through, if you know what I mean. Like, we've spoken, we've mentioned it. Like, both teams just didn't want to replay and there were some subs that reflected that. Um, and ultimately, it was a bit of a smash and grab. They get the the lucky give your own goal um and then the second goal is just us pushing for a for an equalizer in a in a cup tie so they're going to score on the counter let's be honest um elliot said in last division like the game should end either 1-1 or 2-0 if you know what i mean because like you'll lose 2-0 because you've gone a bit too gone ho because it's a cup game so you can do that um let's not be around the bush the issue here at the moment with this team is finishing chances but also for me there's more to it than just taking the good chances we have um for me it's it's stuff to do with the quality of the cutback the composure in the final action like there's one moment that really sprang sprung to mind for me in this game that really demonstrated um and i know i said the reese thing is my explosive moment but this was like this was a Saka moment where I was like, what, what on earth is that? This is not the level that we are used to seeing from you. And it's when I think Havertz, it's either Havertz or Martinelli crosses the ball and it takes a big deflection and Alisson has to like scoop it. Um, and then it comes to Saka at the back post. And literally Odegaard is waiting there for a tap in. He can literally, it's like a three yard right footed pass back to Odegaard and we're one up. And he skies it over the bar with like some miss hit right foot. I don't know if it was a shot or a cutback. I was like, that just shows you're out of form. We on we have an issue with regards to the quality of this final action. And it's something we've been talking about since the Aston Villa game, I think. Even in the Brighton game where we're like everything about that game was excellent, apart from the finishing and the final action at times. And getting to the point where i do think the samples like, like i've said a few times um in the chat that finishing you see it like it, it comes in swings and roundabouts like you can go through a hot finishing patch like like i think we did early in the season where we we're outperforming our xg quite a bit um and we were getting penalties which was helping that a bit and then you can go through finishing slumps but it's getting to the point where the sample size is so is getting to is is getting to the point where it's large enough to to point to perhaps a systemic issue with our final third actions, um, because you think Villa, Liverpool, uh, Brighton, Fulham, West Ham, Liverpool again. How do you feel about this overall poor conviction in our actions in the final third? Yeah. 
I think a word you used pretty early on there was was composure, and I think that's one that, that really sticks out for me, and one that I think of quite a lot. And you mentioned that Villa game, and I remember my canon concern after that game was how we make the most of turnovers, um, and I think the the issue is, and I, I think that's probably when when I reflect on this season because open play we, we haven't been great in terms of the threat that we're we're able to. You know what? To have on the goal. Just, just on that. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. So I had a look at our xG uh, and goals to sort of see whether this re- is reflected, and we're actually just about overperforming our xG still. And by the way, good teams normally massively overperform it. However, I looked at it in more depth, and we're quite substantially overperforming our set piece xG, and we've had quite a few penalties, which helps. Our open play XG, we've cons- we've scored like seven goals fewer than the XG we've created, something like that. Like yeah, that is I mean, substantially below, and, and Liverpool are right problem. on it. By the way, we have yeah. the same open play XG created as Liverpool, but yeah, they've, but they've they've hit they've performed exactly how you'd expect them to with regards to it, and we are like massively under it. When I reflect on these games where, where we've had the issues, I, I think of Newcastle, I think of Villa, I think of this game, uh, I think of West Ham, I think of, uh, of how we created, the, well, not really West Ham, but the, the other three, definitely. I think of how we created our best chances in that game. And, and it's through our pressing, it's, it's through how effective we are at winning the ball in high areas and attacking an exposed defence. And how wasteful we are in, in those situations when we attack an exposed defence. And I think this this game said it all. The, the number of times that we were able to win the ball, and, and I've mentioned this already in this podcast, but in that, that area, top left-hand side, left-hand side, is, well, bottom left-hand side for Liverpool, top right for us. All sorts of problems with um, Joe Gomez and Kwanzaa. They, they had, couldn't get out. And there were even moments in the second half when they couldn't. And... At that point, you know, we, we've pressed so high that we basically have all our forward areas right up the pitch. Liverpool basically just have their back four and, and probably a midfielder showing for the ball who has to really quickly retreat. These are the moments where you really have to capitalise and you have to act quickly, you have to be incisive and you have to have composure. And, and I just think that's the thing that we are seriously lacking at the moment. The ability to just be really calm amid the chaos to play the easy pass which it feels like we, we don't do enough in, in these situations or or maybe they play that extra pass that they don't need to play or you take on that man there's there's that still of of Havertz being passed the ball and then he, all the defenders are able to move across him and he cuts across and then ev- everyone's in front of him where if you if you just take the action quickly then you've got a, a, a shot directly at Allison, and you don't necessarily score but you've got a better chance of scoring than if you've got two defenders in front of you this is a, an issue it's it's a it's a finishing problem um i think last season first half and it's actually it goes back to a podcast the other day on um, a statement, it was a statements podcast on the Askcast, and it was Elliot with with Andrew, and he said, "When you think about, and I think the the statement was Arsenal of um, last season would beat the Arsenal of this season." And Elliot responded, "You have to think of the Arsenal of, of last season in in 
very sort of nuanced way because the art the, the Arsenal of the first half of the season was the best Arsenal side we, we've seen in the last two decades. The, the the points to one ratio was like absolutely brilliant. We were it was the best Arsenal team we've we were seen. on course for 100 points after yeah, 19 yeah. games, yeah. Um, and anyway, and the Arsenal, Arsenal, the second half of the season was, was shit in comparison to that. We had a, a bad defender in our back line and that basically ruined everything. But even when we didn't have Jesus, we weren't as good. And we got a little bit better with Trossard, but we weren't that good. Um, and I think in, in that period, the January period, Saka was playing really well, but Martinelli had a slump, a big slump. He wasn't scoring many goals. And then he scored that goal on the counter-attack at Aston Villa, which was an open goal. And that basically ignited a fire in him. These are young forwards who are clearly just very, very um, sensitive to bad form. I think that's the word that I'm going to use. Martin Erdegaard historically has not been a killer in front in front of goal. It's something that he's recently developed that he's able to, to score. Kai Havertz has never been a killer. We don't have that clinical player in front of goal. And I'm still going to attribute it to just being the fact that these are all... And it's not a good thing that they're all sensitive footballers who are easily influenced by bad form. But this is basically four, five or six attacking players who are all being way too heavily influenced by it at the moment. It's all going to their heads. And I think it probably is an issue that you look at our, like sort of all our forward players apart from Martinelli and you think to yourself, they're probably not the best finisher in the world. I think we could probably do with one more in there at least. Um, it, it's just a bad thing at the moment that... <laughs> They're all not the greatest finishers and they're in a in a bad finishing slump at the moment. And I think that's crying out for a bit of, probably a little bit of squad reform moving forward about what our attacking line has to look like. Remember, this isn't finished Arsenal of Arteta's Arsenal, but it's, it's clearly a weakness within it at the moment. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that me, you, Daniel... And presumably Mac, although he's been kind of radio silent on all this. Um, but I, I would assume he has the same opinion. That we all sort of believe that the diagnosis is this issue that we've spoken about so much. It's the execution in the final action, the finishing, the quality of the cutbacks, the quality of the crossing, um, the decision-making of when to shoot or when to pass, shooting when you should pass and passing when you should shoot. We we all are on the same page that that is the issue. Um, and that make, the reason why I like that is because it makes me feel better because it's, it, it's a very clear and obvious issue which we can overcome and we know how we can overcome it. And if we do, we'll, become, we'll be the best team in the league again or up there. Um, I mean, City were the best team in Europe a few years ago with Sterling, Sané and Jesus or, you know, obviously Aguero's and a fantastic finisher. But, you know, it would often be those three and none of those are finishers. You you can do it without having three finishers, but when all of I mean, them are we out, scored, out of form, we scored it's a huge the issue. most goals we've ever scored in a Premier League season last season with the exact same forwards we have this season. So... Obviously, maybe we, we outperformed some of those players performed above their actual level last season. But, I mean, it shows that the players that we do have are are 
they are better than what they're showing, basically. Um, Ab- absolutely. Better. Especially Bakayo Saka, who just looks a shadow of himself at the moment. Has no idea what to do every time he gets the but ball he, in the he penalty was a area. Cons- and a concern for me in this game because he looked really off it. He, he was the worst. Was he was the worst. Stats. Yeah, he was. He was. There were some stark stats about his dribble numbers. Actually, like he didn't complete a dribble in this game, and he's never been like the most prolific dribbler. But when he does it, he seems to be very effective with it. Um, and his dribble numbers have been really bad in like the last three, four games. Uh, like he's Joe Gomez had his number, and it just speaks to a player who. A, I do think he's still playing with an Achilles injury, which we've been told about. Also, is lacking confidence in his in the conviction of his of his actions. Um, also, as I was just saying there, I like that we're all on the same page, and it's very clear what the issue is. Like there are th- people. So, and, and I posted this in the group chat, um, and it came from Scott Willis, who quote tweeted it with with it. Sort of this graph of of fans, and it's like. The absolute fucking dumb idiots at the bottom who are saying, you just got to fucking finish your chances. You just got to take them. And then there's like the middle majority of people who are going, who are trying to diagnose everything, saying we need to blow everything up. The attack's not working. There's it's all of this. There's these structural issues. We're not getting Martinelli close to goal. We need to change, invert the fullbacks, all blah, 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 all of that. And then there's like the genius side at the other side who are like, yeah, who were the same as the the bo- the people at the bottom who were like, yeah, we just need to finish better and execute better. We just need to kick the ball better into the net. And I kind of think it is refreshing that we're in a very bad run, but the run can be nailed down to something that simple. Like there isn't really an issue with the football. There's an issue with the execution of the final third players. Um and again, we've, we've spoken about this since the Villa game, as I've said. Uh, how concerned are you, Rob, about this being a long-term issue? Are you concerned that this is going to continue, or are you among the minds that it's just a bad finishing slump and we'll get over it? Because I'm... Yeah, go ahead. I, th- I think, you know, it feels like we're, we're, we're kind of having this discussion every week about how should we be concerned yet? And I think there probably should be a little bit of concern because it's probably the, the sixth or seventh week that because you know the, the bad finishing we 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 played well against Brighton but poor finishing day that day let's not forget um, and we had good performances after Villa but and Anfield was was fine but anyway that, that's not the point here um, like. This is the sixth or seventh week that we're having this chat, and this is a fairly large spell now of of of, of bad finishing, um, and it does feel like in the league it, it has been an issue this season. I think Champions League, weirdly, it hasn't been an issue at all. The ball just seems to get sucked into the net in that competition, and in, in the league we, we we seem to freeze in in front of goal, and obviously our wingers have a lot more space in the, in the Champions League and stuff. But it, it's it's day and night. Um, I I, th- I think you, you have to be concerned about it, but you, it is one of those where you feel you have one field day and it all changes. You know, you, oh, my my eyes are firmly set on Crystal Palace at home in eleven days. A poor Crystal Palace side, and 
don't get me wrong, if we don't manage to turn the tide, I'll, I'll be really worried about the attack. But it feels like such a huge opportunity to get some of those guys on the score sheet, to just score a couple of, at least, of really nice team goals and for everyone just to calm down about all of this. I, what, what I want is a goal like Erdegaard against Wolves a few weeks ago. A, a really nice team goal that just reminds us of how good we are. And I think all those players need that. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, that, that's going to solve everything. But I think you look back historically on, on teams who have these issues. I think Pep City sides have had these issues over the years where they're, they're struggling to score. And then they have a field day and maybe it's a bit simplistic to look at it like that. But I, I really do think that yeah, but, but as we've, kind of as we've we sort need. of identified, the issue is quite simplistic. Like, you can oh, yeah, speak about I, all I, these I tactical tweaks well. and nuances and stuff like that, but uh, someone came in Rob's room. Uh, you can talk about all of that stuff, but it is just a simplistic thing of executing there in the final third. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. So, hopefully a, a field day against Palace um, and think long term you can think about this squad and what you want in certain positions and whether you want a more clinical finisher or maybe a high volume a more high volume shooter in in, in forward areas uh particularly centrally maybe you can think about that and how we change but for now i think you've just got to trust it and you can't think adding an 80 million pound striker in january is the only way that this is this is going to be solved and I think even if we do that, the £80 million strikers that are being talked about would change the way Arsenal would want to play football. And you you, you need to be careful when you're entering that territory because we've, we've had a... Like the first the season was good. It was able... We were keeping the pace, which was the important thing. What we want now is the strong finish. We're in a really, really good position to go and attack the rest of the season. I don't think we're favourites at all in the Premier League anymore because of this little slump. But... It's a really good position to be attacking from. And this is, this is what we've been speaking about for a long time. We want Arsenal to peak later. We peaked too early last season. And we've got a real opportunity to change the narrative when we're back after a week away. And perhaps these players just do need a bit of a break. Yeah, hopefully the Dubai break does wonders for us. Um, I think there's the cold data outlook you can have, which is which would suggest... And all the data people will be pushing this heavily. You know, finishing does come in swings and roundabouts, as I said. And sometimes you just get very unlucky for a period. And that's the nature of football. But generally, if you're creating the chances at the rate we are, it will even out and we will start scoring again. Just like, as I said early in the season, I think we were running hot. Um, and that's the sort of really cold, cynical data outlook. But I do think there's, there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, but you'd want your cold think, spell to come in December, January, if it's going to be yeah. any time. But yeah, exactly. I, I agree. There's there's more to it than just. I think I think there's a bit more to it in that, as we've spoken about. I do think it's it's almost the mental and psychological element to it for some of the forward players, like because this has become a narrative, it seems to be weighing on their mind because they're so, you know, some of these players are so young, but they have to carry I, the burden. I, I think being the main goal threats, I think there's I think, this I element of... Stars are quite vulnerable to this happening. I think I'm not yeah, exactly, exactly surprised. And they, they, 
they try so hard, but you can see as what happened at the end of last season, there is a bit of a mentality issue here in the weight of what is ca- they're carrying on the back of them. I'm talking mostly about those young forwards and the feeling that they really need to execute. And once there becomes a bit of doubt in their mind about it, they seem to struggle with this mental burden a little bit and it's really playing on their minds. And the good thing is I am a bit concerned about that and potentially the confidence that we could lose from this run. Um, and the fact that, again, I'm alluding to some of the fans that I was frustrated at the game, booing at the end of the game. I was like, "What? why? Come on, we're better than this. Like, this isn't the Wenger era. Um, I know it comes when you've lost three in the bounce, but still, like, we've just played Liverpool and we deserve to win the game. I don't expect, like, a standing ovation for a defeat, but just is a boo very necessary. But, I'm yeah, I'm concerned about potentially mental burden and... Maybe this could spiral on the players and, and they get lower on confidence and then, boom, the results are too bad and we're out of things. But I think the more likely scenario is something goes our way at some point and we get a goal and then things click back into gear. Because I do think, as we've been speaking about, the young players' confidence, I think it works both ways. It can be erratic. Like, once things go our way, they'll be on top of the world again. So... I do think I I firmly believe because we are such a good team we will get through this this rot. Um, it's just very very painful at the moment because we're out of the FA Cup. And again, I don't think most people would have prioritised the FA Cup at the start of the season, but because of the context of the game, the run we're on, it felt bigger. It felt like we had to put the rot to an end, and now we're out of it. And now we can't yeah, win the try- FA Cup. So I think yeah. prioritise it in the context of the entire season. I think. As well, you might just have to accept, which is a hard thing to do, that this might just be one another season that we fall just a little bit short because we clearly still have these forward players and even some of those defenders who do silly things from time to time who are just so sensitive to external factors and, and the pressure that's on them. And I think, you know, I'm pretty confident that soon enough the goals will, will start to flow, but we might have another period like this this season, and and, and maybe that's the next the next step in the project for signing a, a player who's able to to cope with with this kind of pressure, who can lead the line or at least be a dictator in the final. I do third. think it would really help? I do think really like a stable attacking signing. I do yeah, think it would really yeah. help. Absolutely, um, but m- maybe that's not feasible in January. Oh, I, I don't think it's feasible. But but for this season, rationalising it in the context of this season, you just have to accept Agreed. that this is where we are at the moment. And even our more senior attacking options, Crossard doesn't really have a cut-out position. Havertz is you know still young, but quite a senior player. Has always been an erratic finisher. It's just what we are. <laughs> and I agree, the booing is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I think this game for me does support the idea that we had after the Fulham game that maybe the Fulham performance was a bit of an anomaly because I thought this was much more like what we've seen because the Fulham game, like we spoke about the poor execution in the final third, the Fulham game was a lot more than that. There was a lot more issues, whereas this game, like we spoke about how 
Arteta identified the issues, those issues and made changes which worked. Um, it was it was the players it's, it's, failing it's, to the yeah. final third that uh, that cost us. Anyway, it's I've like got what, to get off. Yeah, uh, but it's like what Arteta said after that um, the the Fulham defeat. He said, "I have to look at things with a telescope, not a microscope." And the headlines will say Arsenal have lost three on the bounce. Those who and I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and you know a lot of those on social media are able to look at it with that telescope output and be like, yeah, we've actually been, apart from the Fulham game, we've been absolutely fine and it will be fine and Palace is a great opportunity to get back on track. I will be concerned if we don't get on, back on track against Palace, but I'm not throwing my toys out of the pram at all at this point. I do think if it, if it gets to the point where we... We just let's say we lose three nil to Palace and have forty eight shots and they have three shots, um, and we have like nine xg to zero point two. I do think if it keeps going like that, then we are going to have to have serious conversations with. Well, I mean, we'd be very unlucky, but there would be serious issues there. Clearly, um, yeah, I've got to get off. It's been a good sort of therapy session. Um, I always enjoy the yeah. post post defeat therapy sessions. They're excellent. Yeah, I actually do. Um, yeah. I hope hope everyone listening f- feels a bit therapized. Um, yeah. yeah, Rob, uh, any final words before we draw uh, this bad blood to close? No. Uh, marketing opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, I've got uh, no closing words apart from everyone be calm. Uh, I think it's going to be okay. Uh, and yeah, just follow me on, on, on my socials. Uh, that is AFC blogger 49 on Twitter. Uh, and then yeah, check out the website and stuff as well. We've got actually got a new at on the website. We know we love you arsenal.com, which is quite exciting. Uh, and I'll let Alfie likely plug his article. Yeah. If you want to know what I think we should be doing in January, um, it is almost halfway through the month now, and there's not been that much room, that many rumors. Uh, well, it's like a third, third of the way through. Um, then go to the website and go to weloveyarsenal.com, which we're very excited about. Uh, finally got .com instead of .co.uk, which is more inclusive to the rest of the world. Um, and yeah, read my article on that. Um, and follow me on, on Twitter or X. At Alfie Coleshaw. I, um, I bought Alfie a pint of Guinness to pay for that. <laughs> he did. He did. Which has only covered a certain amount of the cost. So he still owed me like two quid. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll find uh, another way to, to make up the rest. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks for joining me, Rob. Uh, thanks for listening, listeners. And we'll see you. After, well, we'll probably do an inter, inter-dull or inter-lull yeah, pod. Yeah, an inter-dull pod. I'd like that. Yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be good. Be good. Um, AFC Max yeah, 9 asked for more, more, more trivia, so we have to listen to the That will come next week. That will be the pod next week. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, guess bye. Goodbye.